number of uh, years ago, there was a, a well-renowned pastor. Uh, his name was John Calvin, and he was preaching through the Psalms when suddenly something happened within his city, and he was exiled for three years. And when he returned, he certainly had a number of experiences or applications to draw from. The question was, where will he preach? When he returns to his pulpit, where will he go? And he he opened the scriptures right to where he left off three years ago and, and, and continued his series through that psalm. And so it's a privilege as we work through the book of Acts today in that same sort of vein, we're, we're going to actually close out a verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts, so you can turn with me to Acts chapter 28. Thank you for, for being patient and working through this book. I think uh, Mr. Calvin, Pastor Calvin, took four years to preach through Acts, and let the record reflect, it hasn't been nearly that long for me here, Okay. As I think about some of the sweet seasons of my life, one of them took place when I lived in Fort Worth, Texas, and I was going to school there to be a pastor. One of the hard parts of that season was that Melody was here in Green Bay. So we decided one year that we would meet in St. Louis. She had an uncle there that pastored a, a large church on the outskirts, And he was hosting a pastor's conference. And so I decided I would drive up from Fort Worth. She'll drive with her family from Green Bay. And we'll meet there just outside of St. Louis. Now back then, young ones, they didn't have GPS. Uh, What they had was something called MapQuest. Does anyone remember MapQuest? Some of you did, all right. We thought we were real high tech when we would insert our home address. And then we would find another bar where we would type in our destination address, and we thought we were really sophisticated. And so then that would print out, in this case, pages of directions. Now, what I didn't know at the time is that there is a difference between the quickest route and the shortest route. So when I put in instructions to go from Fort Worth to to the St. Louis area, I didn't know this, but I actually typed in the, the shortest route. And that's not necessarily the quickest. That is through dirt roads and through these 90-degree turns. And in the middle of the night, you could hardly see street signs. And and it was a memorable trip. On one particular time during this leg, though, I was going through the middle of Oklahoma. And I was on, I think it was Highway 44, middle of the night. Rain is coming down in buckets. My windshield wiper is struggling to, to catch up. And as I'm driving on the passing lane, there is a car in front of me that has suddenly stopped. And I'm going 70 miles an hour, and I slam on the brakes. I slide a bit to the side on the left shoulder of the left lane. And I get out to only discover that this car has rear-ended another one in the middle of the highway here in Oklahoma. And so I get out, and I said, is everyone okay? The guy is on his cell phone. He says, yeah, we're we're okay. I'm calling to get some help. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, this is a very dangerous situation. There's a a thick fog that has set in, and someone's going to come down this highway and hit this car too. 
And as soon as that thought entered my mind, that's exactly what happened. Another collision took place. And so I yelled out, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. And, and then I could hear the police car coming, and I'm like, if I don't get out of here, I'm going to get hit next. And so I quickly got out of there, and I made my way down the highway, and then started making my way through these country roads because I didn't, I didn't have the quickest route. I had the shortest route. And eventually, in the middle of the night, I arrived to greet my then-girlfriend, Melody. Now, what motivated such an adventuresome journey? It was love. And in the same way, Paul has been on an adventuresome journey over the last years of his life, or the last several chapters of the book of Acts. As we have read about Paul, we have asked ourselves this question, what would have motivated him to be in Lystra, to have rocks thrown at his head, fall down on the ground, left for dead, only to get up and go back in the city and share the gospel again. Or to be beaten in the book of, or, or in, in the, the city of Philippi. To be the center of riots in Corinth and Ephesus. And to stand before kings and governors there over the last few chapters and, and providing a defense as to why he has been wrongly arrested. And even last week, we were in Acts 27, where we saw he was shipwrecked. Why not throw him the towel? What is motivating him to endure? What is motivating him to share the gospel? The answer is love. He is motivated by love for his Savior and wanting to see his fame spread. But he is also motivated by love for his neighbors, wanting to see them forgiven of his sins and enjoy eternal life. So let's look here, and we'll continue on and finish off the book of Acts today, if the Lord wills, beginning now in Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. After we, brought, we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Last week, Paul was on this boat with 267 persons, and they shipwrecked, and now we're discovering they got to land, and that land or that island is called Malta. Verse 2 says, The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and it was cold. If you've ever been out in the rain and cold, you will gravitate towards a fire where there is warmth. Verse 3 says, When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now we could pause here and say, Why is Paul, of all people, gathering sticks? On one hand, we understand that the fire is likely going down and more wood needs to be added to sustain this warmth. But why, of all people, is Paul gathering sticks? Wasn't he, just a chapter ago, the one that was so important to God that God had a messenger, an angel, come to him and reassure him that he would arrive in Rome safely? Isn't he the one when no one else would step up and all the leaders were silenced? He stood up there in the ship and offered some sound instruction. Shouldn't they be serving Paul? 
Shouldn't Paul be sitting around the fire and saying, hey, could someone get me a log to put my feet up on? And, and can someone get me some coffee or, or some snacks? But we see this heart of a servant there in Paul. William Barclay said this, It is only the little man that refuses the little task. And Jesus himself said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as we think about life on the island here, the first thing we see is Paul serving. We also see him getting bit by a viper. So we see in the next part here in verse 4, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. You'll note the word justice in verse 4. Is the first letter capitalized? It is in mine. Verse 5 says, He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time, they saw no misfortune come to him. They changed their minds and said that he was a god. The first thing we see is some serving. The second thing we see here is some judging, right? The native people there on the island of Malta are watching Paul as he gathers sticks. And because the air is cool as they approach the winter months, he reaches down and grabs some sticks, and there is one that begins to move. It is a viper. It is a poisonous snake, likely that because the warmth of the fire has come, it now becomes lively. And as he grabs that snake, it quickly latches on to his arm. And this causes an immediate response for the locals on that island. They say, surely this prisoner was a murderer. And justice has now come to him. But why is the word justice capitalized in our English translations? There is a mythological goddess named Justice. And it was her responsibility to come and to make sure that people, when they had done wrong, were delivered righteousness, judgment upon their sin you'll notice that even these primitive islanders had something within their heart that knew right and wrong. And when there was sin, when there was wrong, they knew that it deserved to be punished. So they quickly drawn to a conclusion that Paul must be a bad sinner. They judged him because he had been bitten by a snake. And we can do the same thing, can we not? When Job was afflicted, what did his friends say? What have you done, Job, to, to cause this? In John chapter 9, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, what we find out is that Paul doesn't die. In fact, he remains alive. He takes that snake that's still latched to him and he wiggles it off into the fire, which I think is a great place for all snakes. And, and, the, and, and then they say, he, he is not dying. And suddenly their opinion changes that he is no longer a murderer, but he is what? 
He's a God. We saw something like this in Acts chapter 14, where Paul and Barnabas had healed a man. And when the local people saw it, they said, he is a God. But later, the more time they spent with him, they actually tried to kill him and throw rocks at him. He is a blasphemy. He is a sinner. So we see serving. We see judging. Now let us look at some healing that takes place in this passage, beginning in verse 7. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. So the chief of this island was a man named Publius, and evidently had a very hospitable heart because he extends hospitality to all the people on this ship. And how many people were on this ship? According to verse 37 of chapter 27, 276 people. That is a large estate. That is a lot of food that he would have to offer to feed these people for three days. It says here in verse 8, It happened that the father of Pubulus lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And this island, the island of Malta, is known for its goats, known for its goat milk. And it was not unusual for there to be a microorganism of contamination that would get in this goat milk, and as people would drink it, they would get a fever. I'm not sure they had one of these meters that they would go to your forehead and see if you have a, a meter or a fever or not. Probably not at that time like we have today. But certainly there were some symptoms that he had. And some might have this condition for four months to two years. And so you here you have the most important man of this island, the chief of the island, whose dad is sick. And what does Paul do? He does what Paul always does. He goes and prays. And in this moment, God chooses to heal this dad. And it is a magnificent miracle. Now on that island, what do all the other people do that are sick? Well, we read what it says here on verse 9. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on that island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on a board whatever we needed. Now, as we look at these first 10 verses, there is something that is absent, isn't there? We are so accustomed to Paul preaching the gospel and seeing the church being added to. Where is that in this passage? But we don't read it. But what we know of Paul, we can assume that it did take place. He had preached. And likely people had come to faith. In fact, there is history that says that this pubulus here actually became the pastor of the church there in Malta. It says there in verse 11, After three months we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. So why did they stay in Malta for three years? I'm sorry, for three months? Because you didn't sail during those winter months. And so it made sense for them to hunker down there in Malta for three months during the winter. And I don't know about you, but as I was reading this passage and thinking about it, I thought to myself, what would it be like to have winter that lasted three months? That would be magnificent, wouldn't it? You'll notice that there were 
two brothers that were connected to the front of that ship. What is that all about? The mythological god Zeus had twin sons, one by the name of Castor and the other by the name of Pollux. And they were identified as the protectors of the sea. And, and, and so that's why they were there. But as Paul wrote on that ship, surely he knew that the Lord of creation was his real protector. And so we move now from life on the island to life on the road. Look with me at verse 12. Putting in at Syracuse, we stared there for three days. Now, if you have a, a, an outline with you, you have a map. And there on your map, you can see off the left center, you see the island of Malta. You can see where that path goes up to Sicily, and you'll see Syracuse. It says, we stayed there for three days, and verse 13 says, And from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. You'll see that also on your map in Sicily. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Putiliae. That is a port city, the most important port city of Italy. That would get them within distance now to Rome. Verse 14 says, There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And you'll see those two locations on your map as well. The form of Appius is 43 miles from Rome, and three taverns is 33 miles from Rome. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. So as they arrive in Italy, they brace themselves for this walk to Rome. And once again, in God's thoughtfulness to Paul, he allows some Christian friends to come alongside. And you see it says, it says that they, he took courage in their company. He was thankful for their presence, their fellowship. And this is a pattern that we have seen throughout the book of Acts. That Paul was nourished by fellowship. Yesterday, uh, yesterday morning, I had the privilege of meeting some new friends there that have been coming to Highland Crest for recent weeks or months. And we had a membership class. And as we sat around to kick that class off... We introduced ourselves and told a bit of our story. And a part of that story is how we became Christians. And as I, as I listened to one after another of these stories, how encouraging it was to me to hear how God, by His grace, had saved each of these men and women. And there was an accumulative effect of that where I just, I just, Soak that in. I said, oh God, I'm so grateful to serve you and hear how you are reaching out into people's lives and are bringing them here to Highland Crest. There is something about being around like-minded people where we get encouraged. One of the things I said to these dear people is I said, if you get one thing out of this class, here's an expectation that we want to place upon you and all the people of Highland Crest is that you would find a Bible study, whether Sunday morning or Sunday night in people's homes, where you would develop some quality friendships with them. That you would not only be served, but you would have an opportunity to serve. 
Because this gathering that we have in our Sunday morning service is too large for you to get to know one another. And those of you who are in one of those Bible studies or in Sunday school, I want to encourage you to, to see that as family. That you will minister to one another. And if there's a need, you won't wait for someone else to meet that need, but you, your class, will meet that need. Here at Highland Crest, over this last summer, late summer, we've had, we've had eight deacons for this last year. Actually, the last couple of years. And just recently, we had three of them rotate off. And so we have five deacons this year. We had a few others that said, I'll be willing to serve, but the timing is not right for me right now. So we have five. And so instead of one deacon having 16 or 17 families, now that one deacon has 22 or 23 families. It's just going to be very difficult for those deacons to be able to shepherd the families on their list. So there's never been a more important time right now, church family, for you to be in a Bible study in a small group where you're developing these relationships. This is what we see in Paul's life. It's what we already see in our church's life as well. So let's continue now. Let's look at life in the city. It says here that in um, verse 17, uh, let me back up to verse 16. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Paul would be assigned a soldier in six-hour shifts. And he was under house arrest. He had to stay in the same place. But you'll notice there that it says, when he came to Rome... It would be easy for us just to quickly go through this verse on to verse 17. But it would be helpful for us to think about how much Paul has waited for this moment. If Acts chapter 28 were a movie, this would be a scene over the horizon where the sun is shining brilliantly over the the, the backdrop of Rome. And the musical score would go to an exhilarating melody that would just tell us that this is a very exciting time in Paul's life. He has waited all this moment just to get to Rome so that he can launch himself in a gospel ministry west of Rome towards Spain. Has there ever been a time where you have longed to go to a place? And you've researched it, you've sought it on pictures and maybe the internet, and when you got there, it was so fulfilling Years ago, I had a desire always to go to Wrigley Field to see the the Cubs play. Not that I'm a Cubs fan, but just at least to see them play. And my brother was there in a suburb of Milwaukee, and and one night I I drove to his house, and we got up early the next day, and we took the train from Milwaukee down to Chicago, and from there we got on a a train to go towards Wrigley Field, and we got to take in all, all the surroundings of Wrigley Field, and we got to see the Brewers and the Cubs play an afternoon game in April. And it was, it was wonderful. I'd always wanted to be there. Well, I'm sure that pales in comparison to what Ro- that Paul was experiencing when he went to Rome. It says here in verse 17, After three days, he called together local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, 
Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for death penalty in my case. But before the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I have no charge to bring against my nation. When Paul arrives at Rome, he has to have an explanation as to why he is being escorted with a Roman soldier. Why is he imprisoned? And so after three days... He puts the word out to all the Jewish leaders there in Rome and said, Would you come to me? I can't go to you. Would you come to me and allow me to provide an explanation as to why I have been imprisoned? And in doing so, he says there's three different reasons. Let me offer a defense. And this will be the last defense of the book of Acts that he offers. The first thing he says is that I've done nothing wrong. We saw that there in verse 17. In verse 18, he says that the Romans sought to liberate me. In verse 19, he says that he has no charge against the Jewish nation. And then verse 20, he says, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. He is saying to them, I have come to bring the hope that you have been longing for. The Messiah, he has existed, he has lived among you, and it is my aim to bring this message to you. Verse 21 says, And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. So as these Jewish leaders are hearing Paul, they're saying, yeah, we haven't seen this. We haven't, we haven't heard about you before. And I would remind you that Paul was likely in one of the last ships out of Caesarea, and he was also in one of the first ships coming out into the port there in Italy. So there was no texting. There was no email. So it's very possible that they had not heard of Paul and him being arrested. Verse 22 says, But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to the sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So we want to hear what you have to say. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So on this particular day, all these leaders return, and he has an opportunity to present the message of the Scriptures to them. And it says there that he preached from morning to night. And you might think, I preach long. That's some 10 to 12 hours that he would have preached. And what do you think took place? Well, it says there in verse 24, And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. This is what we've seen throughout the book of Acts. It's what we would expect to see in our day as well. We can share the gospel, some will receive it, and some will disbelieve. In verse 25 it says, And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, 
Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. And they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So here he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. This is a passage of Scripture that is quoted throughout the New Testament. Jesus quoted it in Matthew 13, when he was speaking about parables. Uh, John referenced it in John 12, when he was speaking about the unbelief of the Israelites. And Paul would quote it in Romans chapter 11. Here is, here is the point. And by the way, this was a theme of the Sunday school class that I was in just this morning. There is a difference between listening and hearing the word of God. Then it says here in verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So once again, we see that the Jews there in the city have rejected the gospel by and large. And so Paul is going to go to the Gentiles. So this is how the book closes. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, some of you might be like me and say, is that it? Is that how the book of Acts ends? What about Paul? What, what, what became of Paul? Was he exonerated? Was he set free? Or was he sentenced to death? What happened to him? Where is the closure in this story? Well, I would remind you that the purpose of the book of Acts was not a biography of Paul, but it really is a biography of the early church. And here's the point. The book of Acts has not really ended yet. Because the Acts of the Holy Spirit being being led in people of Jesus is still taking place today. As a boy, I loved a good story that would have closure. I remember going as a, as a kid to the, the movie theater there in northern Minnesota. And, and they had matinees for a dollar on Saturdays. And, and, and if I got to the end of the movie and I could tell that the plot was not winding down but I was being set up for a sequel... Man, I was really disappointed. And perhaps that's how we feel here in the book of Acts as well. So what became of Paul? What happened to him? Most Bible teachers believe that he would be set free here. And that is, there was no sufficient case brought against him. If the centurion that accompanied him on the ship from Caesarea to Rome had those papers with him, the arrest papers, they might have been lost at sea. And eventually he'd be released. But history also records that he would get a chance to minister for a period of time, go off to west of of Rome, but then he would be arrested again. And history tells us that Nero sentenced him to death where he was eventually beheaded. Let's just take a look at a few concluding remarks here from not only Acts chapter 28, but also this wonderful book that we have been able to study together. Number one, 
the Holy Spirit still empowers Acts in Christians today. You see, there's, there is an Acts 29, an Acts 30, and an Acts 31. We might not have it in our copy of the Scriptures, but the Holy Spirit is still doing works in the followers of Jesus, even to this day. And my challenge to each of you that are Christians today is allow the Holy Spirit to use you. To see the expansion of the gospel and the, and the growth of his church. Number two, we proclaim the same gospel that the apostles preached. And we don't proclaim it because the angry Baptist preacher is guilting us into it. But we proclaim it out of love. Of a love to see that Jesus, the Savior that saved us from our sins, to see his fame extended. But if we truly love those around us as well, we would share the message with them. And then thirdly, suffering is still an essential tool towards usefulness for God. We see that Paul is quarantined here for two years And he's already been in jail for two years in Caesarea. So what does he do? Well, people are able to visit him. And as we read through the New Testament, there are people that did visit him. We can think of the Roman guards, the ones that were chained to him in these six-hour shifts. Paul concludes the book of Philippians by saying to the church there in Philippi, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. He was able to share the gospel with them. Some of those guards became saints. That means they became followers of Jesus. And the gospel spread throughout the Roman soldiers. There was another man you might remember from the book of Philemon. Philemon was this wealthy man and and he had a servant. And this servant found his way all the way up to Rome and he bumped into Paul while he was there under house arrest. And Paul shared the gospel with him. And then he urged him to go back to his master, to his owner, and say, you need to get that right. Paul might have felt like he was stifled a bit. However, God used him. He wrote Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon there from the jail cell there in Rome. And those books, uh, Ephesians and Colossians in particular, are the most Christ-centered books in all of the Bible. You might be here today thinking, you know, I feel restricted. I feel like I'm in a bit of a prison myself. My house is my prison. I feel like my freedoms are being squelched. I'm not able to do the things that I wanted to do at one time. I think we could take our cues here from Paul that maximized this time. He drew close to Jesus, and Jesus revealed himself to Paul in a way that still benefits us today. Maybe you're a mom, and you say, man, I feel like this phase of my life, I feel like I'm imprisoned with all these little kids around here. And you could relate to Mrs. Wesley who had 19 children, two of which were John and Charles. 
she used that time to invest in her children. We could think of someone like Martin Luther that at one time was under house arrest and he used his time to translate the Bible to his own native language. Or John Bunyan, that he himself was in jail and he used that time to write The Pilgrim's Progress. So you might find yourself and your freedoms a little bit squeezed as a result of your life situation today. But don't give your life over to frustration. Don't don't let it waste you away. Instead, by God's grace, by God's help, maximize it as we see here in the life of Paul. As we conclude here, my challenge to you Christians is to be a part of the story of the book of Acts. To to allow the Holy Spirit to use you to be on mission for discipling, for sharing, for boldly praying and boldly obeying what God has for you and for our church family. And as we prepare for the Lord's Supper today, let's pray a, a time of concluding our message and transitioning to that. Father, as we think of this magnificent book that doesn't really have this swift close, but rather it's an open-ended ending. It's as if to say, the gospel has not gone out to all the ends of the earth yet. This story is still being written. May we not, as, a, as, as believers here of Highland Crest, just take that in as information, but see that as an invitation I want to be added to this story. I want my names to be in this story. Help me to be a part of this movement that we've seen begin in the book of Acts until it is carried to the day in which Jesus returns. Lord, if there needs to be a heart change to get us ready for that, we pray through the power of the gospel that this change would take place. In Jesus' name. Amen.